So we've been talking about Christ in us, the hope of glory, and the simplicity of the gospel. We've been talking about the basic components of the faith and the power of where any two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. We have this power of agreement that we get to make in Christ that when we come together, and again, you notice the theme here with hospitality, when you invite somebody into your home, what do you got? Two or more. Bam, Jesus is at the table, and we have the ability to establish the kingdom of heaven in a tangible way right there. I was talking with a young man at one point, and he had just come back from a wonderful school that we love, and he was all supercharged up, and he'd seen all these miracles, and he was really jazzed, and then he came back, and he's doing life, and he's doing school, and he's doing his job, and he's like, man, I'm so disappointed right now. I was like, dude, why? And he goes, because like, there's just, I thought, I thought I was going to come back and like revival was going to break out and we we're going to see like more signs and wonders and all that. And I was like, well, have you seen any signs and wonders? He's like, yeah, a couple, but it's not like what I thought. Like I really thought it was going to be just like, you know, just like a wildfire and, and I'm, I'm just frustrated and I'm despondent and I'm discouraged. And I said, my friend, my friend, I understand. I, I totally understand that. And I said, let me ask you something. How many people are going to get healed from cancer when we're present with the king in, the, in his kingdom? He's like, well, well, none. There's nobody in heaven with cancer. I said, that's true. I said, how many people are going to have demons cast out of them when, when he brings the new kingdom and he creates the new heaven and the new earth? How many deliverances will, will there be when we're present with him in his new kingdom and in the new earth? And he said, well, you know, none. There, nobody's going to have demons when he's done all things. I said, well, I guess that's also true. I said, okay, how much, how much interpretation of tongues? Well, there, there won't be any. We'll all understand one another. We'll be present with them. I, okay, well, that's pretty good. That's true. How many people will we raise from the dead? Well, none. They'll have all been raised from the dead and we'll be present with them. I said, oh, man. Well, will you be bummed out? He said, well, no. And I said, well, then why are you bummed out right now? He's present with you right now. We're together right now. You and I are walking around. The sun is shining. Christ is being formed in us. We're together. We're connected to eternity. Why are you not rejoicing? Are you telling me that destroying the works of the devil is the only way that you can bring joy? Now, it's a component, by the way, of what we do in this life. But if it's the only source of joy in this life, maybe we need some calibration. Maybe we need to value the things that Christ brought us and is inviting us into and is actually preserving for all of eternity higher than we value destroying the works of the devil. I'm not saying we don't destroy the works of the devil. Let me tell you something. Kicking the devil's butt is super fun. It is super fun. Like, I'm not, yeah, go ahead. It's really awesome. It's great. He's got somebody in bondage for like 15 years and you show up and be like, did you know that Christ, the King, Jesus of Nazareth, can deliver you from that? And they're like, no, that cannot be right. And we're like, no, it's truly, I tell you. And you share your testimony and they go, well, then I want to go to there. And you say, all right, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command this familiar spirit to depart. Now go, 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 in Jesus' name, go. And they get freedom and they go, I've never been free. Guys, that is a lot of fun. Come on. Are you guys even awake today? It's super fun. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. What is more valuable than that, though, is that the person who was then delivered is present with the king now. The point was, because they were in bondage, they didn't know how to be present. They didn't know how to be engaged and understand, like, where two or three are gathered in his name. There he is in the midst, and I get to be with you, and you're with me, and he's in you, and he's in me, and we're in him, and he's in 
the Father and the Father's and the Holy Spirit, and it's just a big love fest. And we got to love that. And if we can't love that, I dare say we might not be valuing the full work of what Christ did. Are you with me? So let's value that. We're together. Just close your eyes and go, or, or don't. Just laugh at me doing it. See, wasn't that fun? We're together. All right. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about valuing those things. We're talking about being introduced into the goodness of what he's done. And, and I want to talk to you today, actually. I'm going to, well, first let me read you some scripture. Let's make it legal. I'm reading to you out of the message right now, because I just like the way he's saying it here. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. This is the apostolic prayer for the, for the, for the Colossians, but we can receive it for us. So let's just hear this as, as, as a prayer. Let's, 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 let's let it be prayed over us. Be assured that from the first day we heard of you, we haven't stopped praying for you, asking God to give you wise minds and spirits attuned to his will and so acquire a thorough understanding of the ways in which God works. Pause, come on. That we would be thoroughly equipped and attuned in understanding the ways in which God works. Oh Lord, that you would do that even now, Lord. Transform us, renew our minds, God, that we would value what you're doing. We pray that you'll live well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. Oh God, that we would be faithful to be working in the orchard, Lord. May you not find us only sleeping against the trees, but may we cultivate what you're cultivating and do what you're doing and see what you're seeing and pray what you're praying. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. Lord, we've received that. That's why we showed up this morning. Because we want to see, God, how are you working? I want to be doing what you're doing. I want to be flowing how you flow. Amen? Is that why you guys are here? Also, I want to be with your people because they're awesome. And I love, I love his presence. I love how when we gather and worship, he's there. Let us continue. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is strength that endures the unendurable, and spills over into joy. You know, that touches on what we prayed earlier, that we weep with those who weep, and, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, and we can do both because of the strength that endures the unendurable, and then spills over into joy. We can do both things. We don't have this one-dimensional plastic faith that can only do platitudes every time that somebody's hurting. We go, well, praise God, he's going to work it to good, and know that. No, you can engage and weep with them and say, God knows how to weep. He wept, and I weep with you, but also I point towards hope and redemption. I can do more than one thing. Aren't you guys glad we don't have this one-dimensional dimensional nonsense made up God. Got a real God, Jesus of Nazareth. Thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful that he has for us. This mystery, we're skipping ahead, has been kept in the dark for a long time, but now it's out in the open. God wanted everyone, not just Jews, to know this rich and glorious secret inside and out, regardless of their background, regardless of their religious standing. The mystery in a nutshell is just this. Christ is in you, so therefore you can look forward to sharing in God's glory. It's that simple. That is the substance of our message. Christ is in you. Would you just say that? Christ is in me. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, Christ is in you. Come on. We preach Christ, warning people not to add to the message. Let's just sail off for that for just one minute. Oh. We teach in a spirit of profound common sense so we can bring each person to maturity. To be mature is to be basic. Christ, no more, no less. And that's what I'm working so hard at day after day, year after year, doing my best with the energy God so generously gives me. This is a word that is good for us. Look at that. Year after year, day after day, but with the strength that Christ has given me that we would not forget the profound message of Christ and start adding to it. It gets so messy when we add to it. You know, it gets so messy and busy, by the way. How many of you guys know that it doesn't take a smart person to get busy, does it? What did read this morning when we were praying? He goes, man, I'm telling you. He goes, it's like that saying. He says, activity doesn't mean productivity. That's a say law right there, isn't it? Just because I'm busy doesn't mean I'm producing anything. And how many of us can get sucked into that? When we add to the message of Christ, when we add to the message of Christ, we can find ourselves with lots of activity, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's productivity. Earlier when it says, when we understand his ways, then we can work like he works. And that's what we're talking about today. So I want to talk about one scheme of the enemy that I, that I think is brilliant, by the way. I mean, we do have a brilliant enemy, which just makes it all the better to just like crush him under our feet because of Christ's complete victory. But he's not, he's, it's not that he's not very, very good at what he does. He's been tricking humans since the beginning, <laughs> right? Bringing destruction since day one. Here we go. I want to share with you this particular scheme, and our dear friend C.S. Lewis wrote about it in Screwtape Letters. If you haven't read Screwtape Letters, you've got to read Screwtape Letters. It's such a great book. It's an allegory, and um, for... for um, communication's sake, I'll just give you a little bit of a rundown here because I'm going to read to you one of these letters. Screwtape Letters is an allegory of a senior demon writing to his nephew, Wormwood, and he is educating him on the best ways to destroy us and to cause us to step away from God, become non-fruitful, and then slowly walk our way to where we end up choosing hell instead of choosing heaven. So that's the goal of the enemy, right? And this is legal, by the way. The scriptures say we're not unaware of the schemes of the enemy. So it's important for us to understand some of the schemes of the enemy. We don't want to focus more on the enemy than God, of course. Our intimacy with God is our primary weapon of warfare wherewith we destroy the enemy. The second weapon of warfare is that we love each other, which destroys the works of the devil. All right, so here we go. Let me read this to you. This is such a sweet scheme. Okay. My dear Wormwood, the real trouble about the set your patient is living in is that it is merely Christian. So Wormwood's patient has just become a Christian. They all have individual interests, of course, but the bond remains mere Christianity. What we want, if men become Christians at all, is to keep them in the state of mind I call Christianity and. You know, Christianity and the crisis. Christianity and the new psychology. Christianity and the environment. Christianity and faith healing. Christianity 
and physical research, Christianity and vegetarianism, Christianity and spelling reform, Christianity and political activism, Christianity and gender equality. You guys get the drift. If they must be Christians, let them at least be Christians with a difference. Substitute for the faith itself some fashion with a Christian coloring. Work on their horror of the same old thing. The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. An endless source in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. The humans live in time, and they experience reality successfully. I'm sorry, successively. To experience much of it, therefore, they must experience many different things. In other words, they must experience change. And since they need change, the enemy has made change pleasurable to them, just as he has made eating pleasurable. But since he does not wish them to make change any more than eating an end in itself, he has balanced the love of change in them by a love of permanence. He has contrived to gratify both tastes together in the very world he has made. By the union of change and permanence, which we call rhythm, he gives them the seasons, each season different, yet every year the same, so that spring is always felt as a novelty, yet always as the recurrence of an immemorial theme. He gives them in his church a spiritual year. They change from fast to a feast, but it is the same feast as before. Now, just as we pick out and exaggerate the pleasure of eating to produce gluttony, so we pick out this natural pleasantness of change and twist it into a demand for absolute novelty. This demand is entirely our workmanship. If we neglect our duty, men will not only be contented, but transported by the mixed novelty and familiarity of snowdrops this January, sunrise this morning, plum pudding this Christmas. Children, until we have taught them better, will be perfectly happy with a seasonal round of games in which Conker succeeds hopscotch as regularly as autumn follows summer. Only by our incessant efforts is the demand for infinite or unrhythmical change kept up. This demand is valuable in various ways. In the first place, it diminishes pleasure while increasing desire. The pleasure of novelty is by its very nature more subject than any other to the law of diminishing returns. And continued novelty costs money, so that the desire for it spells avarice or unhappiness or both. And again, the more rapacious this desire, the sooner it must eat up all the innocent sources of pleasure and pass on to those the, uh, on, and pass on to those the enemy forbids. Thus, by inflaming the horror of the same old thing, we have recently made the arts, for example, less dangerous to us than perhaps they have ever been. Lowbrow and highbrow artists alike being now daily drawn into fresh and still fresh excesses of lasciviousness, unreason, cruelty, and pride. Finally, the desire for novelty is indispensable if we are to produce fashions and vogues. The use of fashions in thought is to distract the attention of men from their real dangers. 
We direct the fashionable outcry of each generation against those vices of which it is least in danger and fix its approval on the virtue nearest to that vice which we are trying to make endemic. The game is to have them all running about with fire extinguishers whenever there's a flood and all crowding to the side of the boat which is already nearly gunwale under. This has made it fashionable to expose the dangers of enthusiasm at the very moment when they're all really becoming worldly and lukewarm. A century later, when we're really making them all Byronic and drunk with emotion, the fashionable outcry is directed against the dangers of mere understanding. Cruel ages are put on their guard against sentimentality, feckless and idle ones against respectability, lecherous ones against puritanism, and whenever all men are really hastening to be slaves or tyrants, then we make liberalism the prime bogey. But the greatest triumph of all is to elevate this horror of the same old thing into a philosophy so that nonsense in the intellect may reinforce corruption in the will. It is here that the general evolutionary or historical character of the modern European thought, partly our work, comes in so useful. The enemy, speaking of God, loves platitudes of a proposed course of action. He wants men, so far as I can see, to ask very simple questions. Is this righteous? Is it prudent? Is it possible? Now, if we can keep men asking is it in accordance with the general movement of our time? Is it progressive or reactionary? Is this the way that history is going? Then they will neglect the relevant questions. And the question they do ask, of course, are unanswerable. For they don't know the future. And what the future will be depends very largely on just those choices which they now invoke the future to help them to make. As a result, while their minds are buzzing in this vacuum, we have the better chance to slip in and bend them to the action that we have decided on. And great work has already been done. Once, they knew that some, th that some changes were for the better, and others for the worse, and others again indifferent. We have largely removed this knowledge. For the descriptive adjective unchanged, we have substituted the emotional adjective stagnant. We have trained them to think of the future as a promised land which favored heroes attain, not as something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. Your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. This was written in 1941. Could have been written today. The horror of the same old thing. It's it's almost embarrassing, isn't it, when you hear some of these things to be like, oh my goodness, I have been so taken in in a way that, as it turns out, is rather familiar to humans. And, and, I, and I, wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to bring this up today because I believe that where the enemy constantly afflicts us is in the ordinariness of the Christian life. I love in the beginning where he says, the problem with your patient is that he has been taken in by mere Christianity. And of course, this is from the enemy's uh, perspective. C.S. Lewis, by the way, has a fantastic book called Mere Christianity, which you, if you haven't read, then I encourage you, you will love it. The beauty of what Christ has done for us is that we've been brought into mere Christianity. That it doesn't, it doesn't get hyped and it relies on hype. No, it relies on the death and the life of Christ in us. 
It doesn't require us to hype it in order for it to be powerful. It doesn't even require for it to be the state religion in order for it to be powerful because it's greater than the state. It is a kingdom that is within us. It is Christ being formed in us, right? What, just as we read, the apostles said that we not add to this message is so vital. Why? Because when we add to the message, then what happens is we begin to see the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom through the lens of our cause rather than seeing how the cause falls under the lordship of Christ whose kingdom it is. We begin to try to get Christianity to bow to one facet of what Christ did bring victory into, and we suddenly see it through that lens. And then suddenly, our whole life becomes one-dimensional. And a one-dimensional life is very easily taken out of whack, and you're very easily burdened, and you very easily, by the way, ostracize people. How many of you guys love it whenever you go hang out with that one particular friend who's really excited about that one particular thing, and no matter what, they just always end up talking about that one particular thing and try to save you to it? And because for them, they are Christian and that one particular thing, then they have the same zeal and conviction that you should submit to the Lord Jesus Christ specifically in that one particular thing. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's so off-putting, isn't it? After a while, you're just like, let's just not. Let's just, let's just go ahead and not hang out with that one particular person and their one particular thing. And I think that's understandable. What if that person were to be merely Christian rather than Christian and? Then suddenly, we're inviting and showing hospitality to allow someone to come in. And of course we can discuss that particular thing, but it's no longer preeminent. Christ is preeminent and we're not adding to the gospel by making it all about that particular thing. And, and it's not that we don't speak of these things. We, we are the original people who are to care for the environment. If indeed that's something you're passionate about, which you should be on some level, we're called to cultivate the earth and care for it. But if it's the only thing, suddenly then we've lowered the kingdom of heaven to be primarily about that. People need to be saved so that we can save the planet. Are you with me? So, so there's that side of it. And, and, if, and if right now, even as I'm speaking, some of us need to be convicted by the Holy Spirit that we have, uh, we have made it Christianity and that one thing. Christianity and the prayer movement. Christianity and the supernatural. Christianity and organic living. Whatever it is, it needs to come back under and may we create no barriers for others to come into the kingdom and into us having hospitality one with another. And, and it really is a matter of posture. It's a matter of heart. It's a matter of allowing Christ in us to be the preeminent thing so then we can talk about organic food, which is wonderful and delicious and, and important, but it doesn't become preeminent and off-putting to where we actually make hospitality hard on ourselves and others. Are you with me? Yeah. The other thing is, and, and I think this is the part that's in vogue, so the horror of the same old thing, this wonderful trap for us. We, we live in the richest time in the history of the earth, by the way. There's a lot of good news and problems of success. We have a greater middle class in the earth right now than has ever existed in all of history. Even most of Africa has a middle class right now. Although there are some nations that are horrifically in poverty, 
Africa has a greater middle class than it's ever had. You don't hear about that in the news because good news doesn't sell. But one of the problems, and, and this is the genius of the, the scheme of our enemy, is that we now have more time on our hands, more disposable income on our hands, all good things, by the way. And so we are easy to tip over with thinking about the novelty that is available to us. We are the most entertained people in the history of the world, aren't we? As, as a greater amount. There have always been those that were the top that were super entertained, but now we've got a middle class and we're entertained, aren't we? And how easy we can be pulled into essentially entertaining ourselves to death. The novelty of something new. Did you guys catch that new movie? Did you see this new meme? Did you listen to that new podcast? Have you read this new book? Have you gone to this new encounter night? They're all very good things. But the plan of the enemy, of course, is that he would make us addicted to the change part, the novelty part. For those of us in charismatic circles, the latest and greatest of that has been what, you know, the next conference. They're all good conferences, guys. There's nothing wrong with a great conference. I have had some wonderful times with the Lord in a conference. How many of you have had a life-changing event at a conference? Come on, several of you. And several of you are like, yeah, but I'm not going to raise my hand. And that's fine. I always, I always hate it when they ask a question, an open-ended question, and then you kind of know like they're going to do a little about face, like that's what you thought. Here's the real answer. Don't, don't you hate that? That's my least favorite. But what can happen is we allow these places of great change to become the destination of our heart, and the enemy for many, for many of us causes us to desire the novel, just as we're saying, the novelty of change, the newness of something, to to keep us drawn away from the power of mere Christianity, which is Christ in us, the hope of glory. The power of having someone into my home, of making room so that I could meet with my neighbor. And if I'm busy chasing the newest and the latest and the greatest, and I'm running all over the world looking for the next encounter or the next prophetic word, in charismatic circles for us, it's a lot of conferences, it's a lot of cool prophetic words, it's a lot of really cool ministry things. All of them are wonderful. All of them, I believe, well, I shouldn't say all of them, but most of them are God-breathed. It's, I mean, there really are good things. How many of you know that food is a good thing? How many of you know that gluttony is a bad thing? How many of you know that you use food for both things? So it's not, it's not that we're talking about something that's bad, it's that we're talking about something that's good, that the enemy is saying, take this in a way that actually destroys you and causes you to have no time. The money is one thing. Being addicted to novelty is expensive in money, but I'll tell you, you have something that's even more expensive than money, and that's time. And, and, and I'm telling you, a busy, frenetic, constantly addicted group of believers who are always running from one experience with God to the next experience with God are not helpful to be able to sit and break bread with others and walk in community and commitment. And so essentially, as we were seeing before, we don't understand how God works, and so we can't work with him. This morning as we were praying, one of the prayers that we, that we prayed was, God, would you bless us with the supernatural love to commit to a few people? Would you bless us with the supernatural love, with your love, Christ in me, to give my life to a few other people? 
Not, dude, you're so amazing, you're so awesome, so incredible, whoa, you're amazing, whoa, like that's super good, let's do that. But that's not all there is. And then what, walk away? That's beautiful, I need to encourage you. But there are a few people that I need to do my life with you and you do yours with mine, with me. Are you guys seeing this? And, and there is, there is, I, guys, this, you know what, thank you for being here because this message is probably primarily for me. My personality type, if there's one thing I love, it's meeting new people. If there's one thing I love, it's doing new things. Like, I want to pioneer something new. Like, every child was amazing, but I'm out now. I'm super bored with it. That's not true. I'm not going anywhere because Christ is in me and he's not going anywhere. But if it was up to me, we did it. We built it over the last three years. We just had a great successful first fundraiser and raised almost half of what's needed for next year. That's good enough for me. I want to go start something else. Let some managers run this. Says Joshua, only in the flesh. Are you guys with me? And obviously, this is like God's top five of what he cares about. We are talking about the orphans of our day, the widows of our day, the aliens of our day, the people in prison of our day, the poor of our day. This is on his top five hit list. And based on newness alone, I would be tempted to bail and go do something else. It's like, all right, we've kind of done that, you know? You guys are all looking like you're just going to leave. Nobody's even feeling convicted. Come on. Aren't some of you feeling like you need to repent of your own issues? Somebody get up and share your sins. You see, the enemy has done a wonderful job. He really has. This is a scheme of the enemy to get us to be addicted to the next thing. And we forget, and we forget then the part that he's called us to. The part that he's called us to. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Let us work as he's working. And then the second part is this. We do come into this room every Sunday. We worship him with the principle of the tithe through our finances every Sunday. We sing songs to him every Sunday. Oh no, are we stagnant? No. No. This is part of that rhythm, that permanence, that faithfulness of God. And when I see your face every Sunday, you have a different story though each Sunday. You're in a different place in life each Sunday. We sing different songs each Sunday. We pray different prayers each Sunday, but then some of them we pray the same. And that's the power and the glory of the kingdom of which we're a part. Imagine if we lived in a kingdom that never, that that just always changed. Like I take great comfort that our father is the one who is unchanging. Imagine if we came in and he was like, guys, we used to have a leader actually, he used to always do this. And we knew when he did this, we were gonna go do something different. He would do this and we'd be like, oh, there's his tail. And he'd go, the Lord's doing something different today. And sometimes he was, but a lot of times he wasn't. That particular leader just really liked to do different things all the time. It's not me, you're thinking it's me. I would just say it was me if it was me. How many of you guys can receive this word? All right, so, so let's just, um, I'm going to pray over you and we're going to have the prayer strip and see if it's sort of up. <clears throat> Jason, can you interpret that please, sir? Here's what I want to do. I want to take, I'm going to take two minutes. The prayer servant team, I'd like you to go ahead and start coming up right now. 
And I'm going to take two minutes, and the prayer servant team, you guys can meditate on this for these two minutes. We're going to take two moments of silence, and I want you to just respond to this, uh, if it'll come up, with a blank. The Lord just wants you to think about it. (laughs) Come on. Can you bring up all of, there we go. One more. There we go. Just take a moment. We're just going to take a Selah and just let the Lord search you. Just take a minute and be like, Lord, what in this applies to me? And just do some business with the Lord and be encouraged. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. We also thank you for the permanence that you are unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you for the glory that's found in each day. As well as the unchanging story of which you've made us a part that you're coming for us, that you love us, that you've called us to your kingdom and it lasts forever. God, in the places where we find ourselves addicted to novelty and change and busyness, would you show us the places, the things that we need to cut, the areas where you wanna move and change? Lord, be the Lord of every part of our life. In this area of addiction to novelty or entertainment or whatever it may be, Lord, would you bring freedom and grace? Christ, would you be formed in that place in us? In the places, Lord, where we've become so uh, connected to our routines that we're going through the motions but we're unaware of the, of the novelties that you've put in there, Lord, those fresh new things. And we're just, we're just reading through the scriptures, but we're, we're doing it in a disattached way, Lord, and missing out on you. Would you open up our eyes, Lord, and our hearts to see what you're presently doing in those relationships, those long relationships where maybe we're in a rut and a routine without being present? Would you teach us to be present again? In all things, let Christ be formed in us, Lord. This we ask in your name, God. Amen.